in the early 2000s. Okay. Never been out of the country. So where's the first country you should go to when you've never been out of the country? Alaska. Antarctica, of course. <laughs> if I look at the crew and see stress on their face, I'm going to be worried. But if I get up there and I see that they're just like, meh, it's another day at the office, then, you know, I can, re- I can be relaxed. You're driving at night and it was stormy and rainy and you don't see anything. You don't even know what the topography is going to be like or anything. And all night long when we got there, I kept hearing what I thought were gunshots. And I'm like, oh, he was fighting the waves so much that he finally just gave up and he just let the ship go with the waves, which wasn't the direction we were supposed this to go. This sounds kind of frightening. Our listeners aren't going to be signing up for this trip. If they it keep was. <laughs> Welcome to the Wild and Exposed podcast, the wildlife photography and adventure podcast featuring hosts Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and myself, Mark Raycroft. Today we have a special podcast where Mike is going to take us through the adventure he had to Antarctica and Patagonia that took one month. And it is epic. Well, I don't know how epic it is, but it was pretty fun. It's an epic destination? It is. That's the whole reason I went there. Let's start with that, right? Because who wouldn't? So, this was in the early 2000s. Okay. Never been out of the country. So, where's the first country you should go to when you've never been out of the country? Alaska. Antarctica, of course. <laughs> you know, most people, when you, you, they set these goals, they say they want to go to all seven countries, right? Continents. Or continents. I kept saying country the whole time, right? <laughs> continents, right? So you're, you're like, well, let's go to Africa or let's go to Europe. Sure. Or let's there, go, you know, just destinations that are There's so much common. to learn at each, but for wildlife, nature, landscape, Ecology. I mean, Antarctica is right at the top of the list, right? By far and away for me. When I right. got the chance, I was like, let's do this. Right. So what what was the motive of the trip? So a buddy of mine got hired. So the deal is, is you take off from the southern tip of South America. Mm-hmm. There's some boats that leave from Australia, too. So the southern tip of South America, Tierra del Fuego, is kind of the launch part. And the only way you can get there as a private citizen and when you're not working for a government is to ride a boat. Okay. So if you're working at McMurdo Station for the U.S. government... As a researcher. You can fly in. Okay. And so they'll land it. But generally, that's in the winter time. What month did you go? We were there in their summer. So we were there in March. Okay. So um, to get there, you go to the southern tip of South America. So actually, you're hitting South America as a continent before you actually hit Antarctica. Just because that's how it goes. Yeah. You can't check it off that easily. But yeah, you right, right. But there's more. Right. There's yeah, okay. more. All right. So you take off and it's two days. Well, it's supposed to be a day and a half to go from the southern tip to the Antarctic Peninsula, which is where we were, you know, mm-hmm. it's the closest place that you can get to. And this is probably like on a luxury cruise liner? No. So I had no idea what it was going to be, right? Mm-hmm. And there are different styles of ships that go down there. But right. so my buddy got hired. Because it takes a day and a half, and it's rough, rough, rough water. Always. They say it's the roughest water in the world. Really? It's the Drake Passage. Sure. It's where all these waters are meeting, and it's just angry all the time. A lot of people I've talked to that have done it have been across, and it's totally flat water. Well, when we got there, it was like angry, angry seas. <laughs> and most people have never been on a boat before that are doing this. So what happens is over a day and a half, 
you got most people sick and groggy and you don't have your sea legs and so these ships will hire photographers to come in and do presentations to take people's mind off of it mm-hmm so I got brought in for that. So I just did presentations. It was right at the start of digital in 2000, early 2000s. So I kind of came in and I did a bunch of stuff with digital cameras and tried to teach people how to use them. And then when we actually got to the continent, then we were there to help all these people get cool pictures of it. So that's why we actually went there, got hired to do it. I think if you want to go to Antarctica now, you're going to spend about 10,000 bucks. We did it. We it ended that trip cost me a thousand bucks. I didn't get paid to go, right? But I got a huge discount. What an amazing then, opportunity for that price. And then, right? Yeah, for a thousand bucks, who's gonna who's gonna turn it down? Right. So that's what we did. So we went there. We spent. Um, the cool thing about it is you're on the ship. You asked about a luxury liner, right? This was an old Russian icebreaker. It only had like a hundred rooms in it. So, so I think with all crew. Rooms for people, small rooms. Small rooms. Now, as a presenter on the ship, I got a room on on top of the ship, which was super cool because when you're crossing the Drake, that boat and the the stabilizers on this boat happen to be broke. And I don't really know much (laughs) about boats, but apparently stabilizers will keep the boat from doing too much of this. Rocking. But these weren't working. So what you would do is you would lay in your bunk and the boat would be swaying in these waters and... I could be laying flat, and I remember looking, and I'd be looking at the ocean, and the next minute I'd be looking at the sky. And it was like that for hours and hours and hours as we're crossing the Was it turbulent enough that the waves were breaking over the bow? Huge. Really? Huge. And the, the captain of the ship, he's like, he's the only one that spoke English. It was Russian, and the whole crew was Russian. So you would go to, uh, he's like, you can come up to the what do they call it, the deck? Sure. Mm-hmm. Anytime you want. So we did quite often. And more than anything, I was up there. Yeah, I was you're a little leery, right? Because, you know, you're crossing some rough water. You're in a ship that's not working 100%. It's a Russian ship, and you're going to Antarctica, and there's all these things in my mind. It's, so I went up there a lot because I thought, if I look at the crew and see stress on their face, I'm going to be worried. But if I get up there and I see that they're just like, eh, this is another day at the office, then, you know, I can re- I can be relaxed. And that's what it was every time mm-hmm. we went up there. But we would hit waves, and it would just totally cover the whole ship. I have seen the water stunning would... images like that. and that, I mean, that alone as a outdoors wildlife photographer, I mean, that would be fun to try and film. I mean, if you have to be in that situation, and if, unfortunately, the, it's that rough... You know, take advantage of the opportunity and totally. film that craziness. And it's before the day of GoPros. So there, I shot some pictures. I've got right. pictures, but I didn't do... The one bad thing, too, is when you went up there, they all smoked. Like oh, trains. Right. Mm-hmm. And you walk into that deck, and it just, like, instant... Like, you smell it's like... fog a, for, for imagery. Smoke for... So I didn't do it too much, but... Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, right. We so go. how long did it take... Sorry. I mean to cut you off. How long did it take to get across the passage? So it's supposed to take a day and a half. It took us two days. Going and coming. Coming back, it was two days too. So normally in decent water, it's a day and a half. So this the nighttime stuff's not so bad. The daytime stuff, they needed entertainment, and that's what we did. Um, and then when you get there, the water's pretty calm. Mm-hmm. So the cool thing about being on a ship is you would go to a location like an old whaling station or an old whaling 
um, it'd be a beach. Are there many of those buildings. in Antarctica? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I thought there were just these pocket research stations, but there was some. They're some, old. Right. Griffin's active. This I understand. old, old, old yeah. stuff. But That's yeah, there was places where there were hot springs. Really? In Antarctica. Again, every beach we landed on, and we landed on a different beach every day, right. had either grass or sand or rocks. It was awesome. You okay, know, it's, I, you, you think of it, and I thought of it too. Right. You know, when I'm getting buying clothes to go down there, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I gotta get stupid double insulated, blah blah blah. Every day it was like in the 40s. <laughs> it was it wasn't warm, but it's tolerable. 40s That's typical Fahrenheit. in the summer. Yeah, where we were at. Right. Now we're pretty far north, right? Because the peninsula is pretty far north, so it wasn't too bad and. We would land. So what you do is you get to your spot. You go check out stuff, whether it's... So do you Zodiac ashore? Yep. Okay. So they leave the boat out in the bay somewhere. And then they have these big, huge, long stairs that go down to Zodiacs that they take off with the crane. Mm -hmm. So every day, like seven or eight Zodiacs would go into shore. And they'd haul everybody in there. And then we spend all day on shore. And you could go check out icebergs. You could go check out tons of seals, tons of um, birds, like cormorants and albatross and mm -hmm. penguins tons of penguins what everywhere. kind of seal so leopard seal is obviously the leopard seal crab eater seal big predator yeah crab eater crab eater crab eaters were everywhere mm -hmm. and then we saw tons of whales no kidding so what species humpbacks, of whales um humpbacks and um orcas mm -hmm. and there's more but we that's all we saw mm -hmm. and you'd be out on the zodiacs and you'd see the the humpbacks that come up right next to you and then they, you know, they don't ever mess with the zodiac. They just kind of curiosity. Take a peek and sure. Yeah, well, they're intelligent cool. beings, right? So pretty what's cool. this going by? Sure. Wow. So it's phenomenal. <clears throat> yeah, I, I would love to do it again, because it was the first days of digital. The cameras weren't right. that great, you know, and I shot everything on digital, and I don't really use the pictures for anything now. It was more about the experience. Right. But we can throw some of the pictures in here, and I can show the ship and right. all the different things. Awesome. You Wait. shoot landscapes and wildlife. While That's you're down the there? thing. People ask me all the time. So, all the continents. So I've been to six of the seven continents now. And can I ask which is which is waiting? What's the last Australia? One? Australia. We can fix that. I know. <laughs> we can fix that next year. That's the one I've wanted to go to the most too. Australia is the one that I can remember as a kid. I would have a map. A National Geographic mm -hmm. map on my wall right. of Australia. And it, for some reason, it just always intrigued me. Maybe it was Crocodile Dundee or I don't know what it was, mm -hmm. but, and I still haven't been there. All right, sidebar on planning the Australia-New Zealand trip. Yeah, I would love to do it. I had a buddy that did Australia 30 days, and he drove around the whole country. Will you do sharks with me? Can we do great white sharks? I would do it. I'm not, I'm not a scuba diver. Or, we have a year. We have a whole year. You can, yeah, you can snorkel with yeah. great white in the cage. Yeah. yeah. I try it. Oh, you don't have to have scuba gear on. I assumed you were submerged enough. That... Don't have to. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to photograph it, I would imagine that you would, right. you would want scuba gear on. Right. Yeah, I would think it'd be better. Yeah. Although, in those cages, and don't they just pipe air down too? Because those cages don't have to go very far. So yeah, I they, think right. they can even they just may send have air a... down to you. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to have the tanks on or anything. That would make sense. I'd really want to do a whale shark too. Let's do that. Let's plan for that. Let's let's talk about it and 
maybe get into those details another podcast. Yeah. yeah, that's number seven. That's uh, yeah. I don't know anybody who's been that I can think of off the top of my head of friends and family that can say they've been to six. So that's cool. And and so with with the time in Antarctica, then with each bay and different day, was there much difference with any geology or or animal life from one bay to the other? Or there is... was lots. So like I said, every beach we landed on was ice free. So that was cool. And some were rocky beaches. Some had tons of penguins or, you know, they might have a certain species of penguin. And I should have done a little bit more research to remember all the different types of penguins we saw. Gentoo, Adelie, I think Adelie penguins. There's the king penguins mm -hmm. and the emperor penguin. Right. But those aren't really on Antarctica. You see those all on South Georgia Island. Right. The Falklands and yeah, South Georgia. Falklands. Yeah. Yep. But there was one king, peng king penguin... Really? In this colony of, oh, of these small little penguins. And we were asking all the, the people that had done this a lot, why is this guy here? And they said he must have just got blown off course in a storm or something. But he shouldn't have been there. But it was cool because I got to see one. Because mm -hmm. we didn't go to South Georgia or the Falcons or anything mm -hmm. like that. That's a whole different trip. Right. It would be great to do the whole Antarctica thing where you did those islands and then went down and then to the went peninsula. South. And... Yeah. But as far as seeing different stuff... Man, every beach was different. Mm -hmm. Some, the spectacular views were always icebergs, or would have been icebergs. Right. Others, it would just be ice that came almost to the beach, but the beach was always clear. So then you could experience those just massive glaciers. Some would be wildlife. There would be huge rookeries of different cormorants and albatross mm -hmm. and all the cool birds that you see down there. So... The one thing I remember about one of them is there was tons of penguins. And it's cool because you can, you know, these penguins have no predators other than the leopards. In the water, yeah. right. But when they're on shore, it's like, mm. so you can walk right up to them, right? And obviously they're not scared. And you can lay down and they'll waddle right past you. and Lay down with a wide angle and get... Yeah, yeah. and get some really cool stuff. So you would, um, and these icebergs are, or these uh, glaciers are calving all the time. And you'll hear it just constant. Something is breaking somewhere and ice is falling in somewhere all the time. So if you were around a bunch of penguins and you heard an ice calve or a, a glacier calve, the, um, if the penguins started running, you better run. Because no the waves were going to hit the beach. Really? But if the penguins just stayed still, you know, uh, it's not big they enough. They knew that. They knew just from the and sound. And they can swim so well, why do they care? I don't know, but they would all run up to the edge right. and get out of the water, and then when it was gone, then they'd all come back. That's See, awesome. that's what I love about what we do, to be able to witness and, and interpret that kind of behavior. That How would you know that? Yeah, you Otherwise, would. right? And, and we figured guess? it out really quick. It's like, okay, the penguins are running. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, everybody run. Right. So yeah. that was cool. Um, was there any elephant seals down there? Yep. Or is that and over there? They're huge. They are a huge animal. It's amazing, and it's... You could walk right by them, but it was intimidating. They aren't going to, well, you wouldn't think they would do anything. The fur seals, they mm. were scary. Really? They were running you down. A little more aggressive. And they've got some sharp teeth, mm. and I think they could do some damage. I mean, you're not going to get hurt by them as long as you keep your distance right. and walk around. But Use common sense. Mm. Yeah, use common sense. Yeah, I would do that trip again in a heartbeat. Um, so, yeah. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No. Finish, your, finish what you're going to say, then I'll ask. Well, I didn't have anything. I was just going to... Well, I was just going to ask. So it was two, two days getting there, and then 
a, a week or so we were in there these bays. like seven or eight days there and then two days coming back. I don't remember exactly. Did you have any crazy weather or was it a good trip weather-wise? Once we were day. down there, it was great. Yeah, it's mm. just the rough water. Yeah. And and what I was going to say earlier, so every day you land on a beach and then throughout the night while we're all sleeping, the captain's taking us to a different part. So every morning we'd wake up in a whole new spot. Ta-da. Which was awesome. Right. <laughs> and you're like, what are we going to see now? Or Throughout the night he'd be sailing or... What do they call it? Sailing, I guess. Well, just navigating, like navigating yeah, whatever through the waters or through all these these fjords, kind of mm-hmm. looking things. And you know, every now and then we'd hit an iceberg, and you'd be seriously, like, whoa, there'd be contact. Yeah, I see. But so it's at night, you know, and you're just like, I guess it's an icebreaker, right? Yeah. So they're not. Yeah, they might keep thinking of things way back to the Titanic. There was one that hit icebergs. Sank because <laughs> you don't know how big ago. they are underneath, right? right? How are they formed underneath? Right? How do you know? Yeah, and they're way bigger underneath than they're what's showing. So, mm-hmm. but you'd get to places where their icebergs were beached. I forget what they call them. I don't know. It come to me, but and the shapes and right. just the and there would be uh, it'd be like an iceberg graveyard because mm. huh. they'd all be beached and then it just every different shape and size and some of the color with the light. Color. I've yeah, seen some views. really cool images. Yeah. Mm-hmm the right light going through i would love now so that's 20 years ago right Right. that was really early on in my career and i don't think i was as developed as my eye and i wasn't as developed you must have been really young 20 years ago just for the record yeah pup yeah yeah Yeah, (laughs) i wish i could go back now because i think what i would be able to do now compared to what i did then with the video but also stills imagine putting a gopro on the front of that ship for the through the waves and it would make it right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'd be pretty sweet. It, that one thing about that. So you know when you take a piece of sheet metal, a, let's say a big piece, four feet mm-hmm. by two feet. Okay. And like eighth inch thick, eighth inch inch thick. Yes. Sheet metal, right. and you take it, and you go, yes. and you can run waves through it. That every, would be every Saturday afternoon. Sorry. <laughs> The you ship would do that. Boat. Every oh. time we hit a big wave like that, you would hear that. The wave would go through. So like you feel a, it. A reverberation going through. The... You wouldn't hear it. You would feel it. You'd feel you it. would feel that wave go all the way through the ship. And that's like kind that's of unnerving. unnerving. That'd probably make it tough for me to sleep. Not yeah. gonna lie. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if I was gonna get motion sickness well, or being on a, a boat. Lot of people must have been right. So that. going down, I thought mm, I don't really want to be sick. So I did the patch. And it worked. Yeah. I didn't get sick. That first morning for breakfast, though. So this is a patch. What's in the patch? Cause it's like an antihistamine. I think it just dries you out. And then if you could dry it out and you don't, you, you know, I think it's the fluid. It doesn't mess with your inner ear. Yeah. yeah. If, it, if you okay. can. And for me, it's it like worked. like a 24-hour adhesive little Band-Aid patch you put. It... But it's kind of miserable because it does dry you out. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're like. No kidding. Ah, so know, can you just, just drink more fluids to compensate for that? Yeah, but it, it still it... keeps you dry. Really? Dry, dry, dry. So after that day, I took it off, and then I, was, I made it through it. the rest of the trip. And then on the way back, I thought, eh, I'm going to try it without. And I, it wasn't perfect. I'm not going to. I didn't throw up. I didn't get sick. Mm-hmm. But there were some moments where I was a little queasy, where I was like, eh. right. But um, equally rough on the way back. Yeah, right. yeah, okay. it was crazy. In fact, it was so rough on the way back that the, he was fighting the waves so much that he finally just gave up and he just let the ship go with the waves, which wasn't the direction we were supposed this to go. This sounds kind of frightening. Our listeners aren't going to be signing up for this trip. If they it keep... was. <laughs> yeah, I have to be honest. I was a little bit like, 
you know, anywhere I what go in the world. What an epic adventure. I see that side of the mm-hmm. coin, but also, I mean, for people who aren't used to it, and, and maybe they navigate these waters so frequently they know they can do it, but for people who don't witness that, it's it's like a, this is it moment. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and if you don't get butterflies in your stomach from going someplace new and having a new adventure, I feel like you're not, Nicely you know, put. it's you're not in too it. easy. Yeah. So I get excited when I get that. I don't like that feeling, but I do like that feeling. You know, it's one of those things where you're just like so unsure. But the more of it you do, the easier it gets everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. And but it was an uh, awesome experience. The the one last thing about the boat when we were traveling across, so they'd have all these meals. And if when we were down there, if if the, there was going to be a little rough water when we were traveling, they would put cotton. Uh, tablecloths on all the tables for, at the mess hall and the, in the mess hall keep plates on the table they would wet them they would make them all wet and then the plates would stay on the table if you were in rough water hmm. so if you showed up for lunch or dinner or whatever and the tablecloths were dry you were like smooth it's water no problems day. but if if you showed up and they were wet you kind of knew that and then the other thing that i was gonna say there was like i think there was 120 people on that ship going down there and that first morning for breakfast there's only three of us that showed up for breakfast. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> that says all. Right there there. was, and and I I referenced it earlier. I had a, a room in the top of the ship, so I had these huge windows, right. and I was high enough up. Even in that rough water, I wasn't going to get wet. But most of the people in the ship are staying down on the bottom with the little portholes that are constantly wet, so they couldn't even open up their windows to get fresh air. So I think that plays on it too. And then it's the diesel motors or diesel mm-hmm. engines or whatever right. down there. And you smell that exhaust sometimes. And, you know, you think the rough water, that exhaust, the heat, people just were, I mean, everybody walked around with a, a barf bag. Just in case. But. I might have had a utility belt full of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And then in some of that rough water, I remember too, you know, because you're, you're on the ship and it's also new and you want to go explore everything because really the only thing you can do is get on the sh- in, go around the ship. And I'd go down on the bottom to see what it was like. And when you'd walk, you'd, it'd be like a ping pong ball going against, you know, you just wham, and then you hit the other side of the hall, wham. Mm-hmm. And, just keep, and everybody's doing it. And you're trying to avoid all the barf bags. The place where we did the presentation... Yeah, you know, you've probably been, you're familiar with the cruise ship. I mean, this isn't a cruise ship by any means, but they did have a nice little area where, like an entertainment place, where it was a hardwood floor in there, and then they had a little bar. But all the chairs were, like, bolted to the floor. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it was was just crazy. Everything about it was was cool. So despite all that, and of course, from what you're saying, I mean, we all love adventure, and you thrived on that, and it makes the story that much more memorable, the experience story for you. All said, given the turbulent waters and, and the motion with the boat, you would do it again. In two seconds. There you if go. Somebody called me right now and said, let's go to, you know, I got this right. deal. Right. I would go. Right. No but that question. wasn't the end of it, though. That's as far true. as the adventure. No, so since we were down there, we were like, we're in South America, and when are we coming back? Who knows, right? So we decided, before we even left, we decided this, we're, let's just do Patagonia, because you're there. You're in Tierra del Fuego, and you drive north, I don't know, three or four hours, 
and you're basically in Patagonia. Mm-hmm. All the really famous places that Patagonia is known for with the the Andes and the El Chaltén, the, the real famous uh, rock climbing place down there. Mm-hmm. And so we just basically rented two cars, and this was in the early 2000s, so rental cars were pretty hard to come by down there. There wasn't an Avis or a Hertz rental car, so we actually had to hire somebody that before we ever le- left, and they secured cars for us. And I think what we got is um, two personal cars that belonged to just like you or I here, and mm-hmm. they rented them to us. And I think it was 150 bucks a day for each truck. We had two trucks, and, and two little like Nissan. So there were vehicles trucks. you were familiar enough with. It wasn't a yeah, totally. Operating. Everything was the same. Right. One was really fancy. One had a roll bar, and we had big old lights and all that cool stuff. And and then one was just a pretty much a stock mm-hmm. truck, but it was perfect for traveling because we didn't know either what we were gonna up against. We'd never been down there, so most of the highways at that time, I've heard that it's changed a little bit, but most of the highways are just basically gravel, gravel right. roads, and you just travel. I mean, these people travel way too fast for a gravel road, for me, Right. but, you know, they're going 60 miles an hour down a gravel road, but they're, you think of a gravel road in the U.S., it's usually a two-lane gravel road. Right. These were like four-lane highways, but they were all gravel instead of being paved. At that time, but I think most of those have been paved since. Mm-hmm. But we, we from Argentina to Chile, back to Argentina, and then we again, you know, we must have did, I don't know, five or six border crossings. Were you back camping? And forth. Camping. Sometimes, sometimes we'd stay in a, a what they call a hosteria. Hosteria. And, and um, that's a hostel. No, it's no, like a, it's just like a it's like our little motels. Okay, so but it's just they, accommodation. Yeah, and we didn't have any plans. We didn't want any plans. We wanted to be where we wanted to be when we wanted to be there, so we didn't schedule anything out. And you'd always find something. Now we did stay in one that was a little funky. It was like it's like out of the old west. Right. You, it's like an old boarding house. You mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, and then there's this one building. It was a two story building. And it said rooms or something, and we stopped in there, and it was, I don't know, 40 bucks. But it was basically just cots. There was like 20 cots lined up, and that's what you got. There was no, you know, there was no room, no nothing. You just basically had your cot, and you're sleeping with who knows who else is there. You just kind of roll in, and that's what it was. But then we went to others that were full on, just like our motels. But super nice. I mean, it's just plush and beautiful and... And you, when you touched on this earlier, prior to the podcast, you mentioned how friendly and inviting the people were too, totally. and the and the food and the meals and the food. Um, I didn't know what to expect, right? Because you go to right. a different country, and I have to say, China was the absolute worst food I've ever had. Really? Yeah, but I'm not. Is it because it was different? Is it, and from what you're used to, or was it's it just definitely that? I mean, because they love it. I found one that I liked it in China. Now we're changing the subject, but in China, I found noodles and. Stuff like that that I really like. Right. But they would serve, if you've ever been to an Asian restaurant right. and you get those tables that are constantly turning, have you ever ate at a place I like haven't, that? but I've heard it's like a buffet then that you Kinda. take from as it comes, yeah. but it's just moving around, you can make your selection. Yeah, so okay. you'd have That's this huge table and, the, and whoever's preparing the food would bring out a dish and another dish and it just lines the table and when it passes you, you better get get it. But we were served like turtle soup. 
So um, you weren't comfortable with some of it. I, I would feel. I like tried that. it. Okay, good. But on you. it's like you're not used to it, and you know. Right. And then the thought of yeah, I just didn't. You know, you you see turtles in really mucky, ugly water. Not well, that, it depends on that yeah. makes a difference, but that's enough. Yeah, yeah, but that's a whole besides that's the point. Whole Down subject. there, right. I didn't know what to expect. So in Argentina, Chile would be good food wise and and accommodation wise. I mean, did you notice any difference between those countries? They were about the same. Okay, and the predominant food was beef. Okay, steaks always. Yeah. Yeah, if you you ever go to a Brazilian barbecue or a Brazilian meat house here mm-hmm. in the states, where they have these just big have skewers skewer. of meat, yep. and they just line up. They have these really elaborate fireplaces or cooking fires. They're really long. It's like a, a fireplace you find in a house, only they're twenty feet long, and they just have these skewers of meat just sticking in there cooking. And then they just bring that skewer over, and you take whatever. Or you could have just a traditional steak, much like we had, mm-hmm. we have here. So. Okay. The so food was awesome. Food was good, and the wine was good. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a wine kind of sewer, but the people I was with were, and they were uh, sampling all this wine everywhere we went. And I like it. I just don't know anything about it. And Chilean they would wine be like, "Oh, this is really good." good. Yeah. yeah. My wife was born in Chile, and 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 her mother spent a lot of her life there, and and that she almost always drinks wine from there. So really, yeah. <laughs> but uh, everywhere we went it was great. But I'm not a connoisseur. I mean. I guess I, they were telling me the the difference in the quality of the wines. The cheaper the wine, the bigger the headache, is what they told me. <laughs> so good, I, I based everything point. on whether I woke up with a headache. How do we spin that into selling our pictures? <laughs> I don't know. The, the bigger <laughs> the, the bigger HD the picture, mean, the less the headache. The more eye relief. Correct. Right? The bigger the HD metal, the more eye relief and the more you can take in. <laughs> Sign up for that. Yeah. You know, you'll get more out of it. It's <laughs> worth the price difference. And you should check out Mark's website for all those pictures to <laughs> to have that less irony. It's there. It's there. Well, it's more easy to find, and then you'll see what we're talking about. But so um, with Argentina, then photography-wise, since you're doing this trip, I mean, you're doing it to explore it because the opportunity is there to, to add on these weeks and, and right. to travel the country. As far as taking images and recording the trip. What did you do that way back then? So there's some really cool places. And if you've ever seen a picture in um, really famous three rock spires that are just monster spires, mm-hmm. and it's, you see it everywhere. That's Torre del Paine National Park. And we knew we wanted to go there. So we went there and um, unbelievable. But the weather in the Andes is so persnickety. I mean, it's you can't count. We've been talking a lot about weather right. being here in Wyoming. Down there, it was like... So that's another reason we don't want to schedule. Right. Is you want to be able to stay. And since we were camping, we thought, well, you know, if we get to a place that we think it's going to be really cool, let's just stay as long as it takes to get a good shot. So we we stayed in Torrey's for probably five days, waiting on weather. Mm-hmm. But it was cool. To, you know, when, when we didn't have the right weather, we were out exploring. We were checking out different parts of the park. And those parks are pretty cool. Are they? I and mean, they're a lot like our parks as far as beauty and access and stuff the one cool thing that i'll never forget is um you go to the campgrounds and there's always a campground host much like we have here but when you roll in they show up with a wheelbarrow full of wood so you can build your fire and do all kind of you know and here you you have to go buy your wood they Mm -hmm. just show up and give you you know and then 
as long as you're there, they they keep your firewood stocked and really welcoming party. That's nice. Yeah, totally welcome. And then every campground has showers, so they had those hot water on demand kind of uh, heater what, propane yeah. things. So that was cool. I mean, we're out in the sure. wilderness and you can pretty much take, take a, a shower. shower. Yeah, yeah, a warm shower, which is pretty awesome. So that was a cool thing about that. And then it's spectacular. I mean, the campgrounds sit in some of the in the U.S., I think we put campgrounds in areas, or in Canada, we'll put mm-hmm. campgrounds in just spots that are good for campgrounds and may not have the best view or may not right. have the, you know, it's just you can put a lot of campsites in. Down there, they would put them in really spectacular places where you had a view of the Torrey, the, the big mountains, or, you know, so you'd wake up every morning, look out the tent, and you might just see the bottoms of them or something. It was pretty wow. cool. And the water is just blue, blue, Lake Azul. We we stayed there camping there, and it's just the blue water at the lake. It was a lot like Canada. similar to the Canadian Rockies that mm-hmm. way for the very much so. Right. It, I think I told you guys earlier if you if we hit Ron over the head and blindfolded him and flew him to Tierra del Fuego, hmm. and he woke up and he didn't know where he'd been flown to. If you just get up and you don't pay attention to the actual vegetation, but you just look at the mountains, it looks a lot like Anchorage, Alaska. You know, if you wouldn't know Interesting. if we're there, it's well, pretty I cool. mean, the poles mirror each other in so many ways, and you know, not right. just the poles, but the continents do too, mm-hmm. right? Just flipped seasonality, and mm-hmm. and uh, the mountain ranges, you know, the formation of them in a similar fac- fashion with their receding glaciers. And Totally. Right. Now, if you drill down and you look at the vegetation and the wildlife, mm-hmm. that's the dead giveaway. So, like, down there, we would... Uh, guanacos, um, and, uh, which is basically like a llama. Okay. It's like our llamas, but these are wild, you know, much like you'd see pronghorn here in Wyoming. They're like a tall alpaca, aren't yep. they? A little thinner. Yep. And but... they're like a reddish brown with white. Yep. And you'd see those, they have emus, wild free emus, range, right? free range emus. Okay. So, you know, how you get, you go to places and there'll be a sign deer crossing or elk crossing. It would be a different experience for me to get the emu <laughs> on the ridge line instead of the bull elk. Yeah, totally. It would be different. And they're no, kind of cantankerous. Well, you, they're, they'll come. It's like the elk you photograph sometimes. They, they'll come get you. <laughs> the guanacos won't. But the, Is that the place where the mountain lions are? Yeah. And I did, we didn't see any, but the habitat, you can just tell, was very, very suited for a mountain lion. I mean, you know, it's, sure. That habitat was perfect for a mountain lion. Now, is the... Like the Guanacos, is that the main prey base for those cats yep. down there? Yep. Is it? Yep, for sure. And they're very successful. And I think if you went down there with that intent, and maybe with a little help from the biologists in the park or a little help from locals, right. I think you would stand a pretty good shot. And I've talked to other photographers that have done it that okay. ha- actually have photographed. Well, it's a guy that used to be the editor of Wyoming Wildlife Magazine, and he's... I think he's actually leading workshops down there now, but yeah, it's it, they go down there and they see the cats every year, every yep. time. Yep. Yeah, and you just you, you know you can just tell, especially doing what we do, and we're all very familiar with certain species and certain habitats. That habitat just said, "This is a perfect place for a mountain lion." Mm-hmm. Lots of foxes too, gray foxes. So we had it. We had a gray fox in the campground that would show up every day at our campsite, and not. They're not captive, and they're but they're they're wild, but they're pretty habituated to people. Right. right. They don't get fed. You know, we weren't feeding them, but they would still kind of show They'd up. Find and just stuff. Be curious. Probably, and they probably find stuff too. Yeah. 
but they'd be curious and they'd be checking us out and opportunistic totally foxes are totally it was too much fun traveling around there the other place we went we went to a a big glacier called moreno i think it's i should have done a little bit more research i believe it was moreno glacier could you drive to that you could drive to it and we drove to it and we got there in the middle of the night so we're like okay well we'll just sleep in the in our cars still and we'll be out there at sunrise mm. and you know so they have a parking lot and then you walk these nature trails to get down to, to the overlook to see this big glacier that kind of terminates in this big lake and all night long when we got there i kept hearing what i thought were gunshots and i'm like holy what, what are we doing and you're arriving at night and it was stormy and rainy right. and you don't see anything you don't even know what the topography is going to be like or anything and i'm hearing this and it was the glacier calving. And this is one of the, this glacier calves more than almost any glacier in the world. Oh, is that right? Huh. So it's moving like several feet a day. I mean, not like just two or three feet. It's moving like 20, 30, 40 feet a day. Wow. So you would sit there and if you ever want to get shots of a calving glacier, I would say this is the place to go. Because you would hear it and that gives you just a little bit of time to know that somewhere you better get your lens on some part of that because it's going to come down. And then the one thing I remember about it is it was so big and then the, the water is so big, there's no sense of scale. But then uh, out of somewhere, there was a tour boat that would come out and go out there. And this tour, it was a big tour. And much like you would see in, um, maybe it's like a ferry, right? The size of a, a mid-sized ferry that you would see in Alaska or Seattle or whatever. It was tooling out at the, and then you see the size of that boat compared to the size of that glacier. It was unbelievable. So you know that the size of the ice that was falling off, I mean, it had to be like house-sized pieces of ice or building-sized pieces of ice just falling just on a regular basis, just, just, and then the waves, it just, that was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Those are the highlights that I remember. The people were awesome. The roads. You know, a lot of people go down there to fly fish. Right. And I saw some areas where it's like, wow. And I don't fly fish too much. I mean, I'd, I'll get out there every now and then, but not an aficionado at all. But you look at that water, and you're like, oh, that looks like it'd be perfect fishing. But we didn't do it. Was there any, uh, I've seen some pictures of some volcanoes that are, they're active volcanoes. Kind of, you see the images and they're creating their own lightning in the, the storm system basically due to the eruption did were you in any of the volcanic areas no we we're too far south so i think that happens you know and in reality i think we only made it like maybe a third of the way up the country right so there's so much more to go see um you know you fly into we flew from i flew from denver to la la to buenos aires and Buenos Aires down to Ushuaia. Mm -hmm. So I got to see Buenos Aires, which is a little different. It's a lot further north in Argentina than, mm -hmm. than um, anywhere we were at. And that was t completely different. You know, mm -hmm. so much further north, it's a much different climate and much different, you know, beaches. And so, I, you know, so many people will travel the, what, they like to drive from Alaska all the way down to the tip of Tierra del Fuego. That's a, yeah. Common adventure. Well, not common, but people do it a lot of every people. year. Overlanders. Right? Yeah, with uh, different forms of transportation, whether it's uh, camper trucks or <clears throat> even those um, 
on off-road motorcycles. We see them do it. You, you see cruising. tons of them. Yeah. And we saw them down there, and we we actually saw so you the the expedition vehicles that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. They were common. And they weren't common down there, but they were. You, you them. saw them, mm-hmm. and they would have like you could tell they were from the U.S. or Canada, and then you know that had traveled down. And a lot of times when I'm in Canada or Alaska, you see a lot of those people that are coming up, and they're doing it just the reverse way. Right. So um, <laughs> that I think would be the quintessential way to to experience, you know, but. You got to have a year or two to do it. I, I was think if say, you yeah. want to experience everything, especially if you're going to start on the Dalton Highway, right? And then go all the way to Tierra de Fuego. I don't know. There's what probably not that many people that have done it, but it's hard for me to get all of the moose pictures I need if I do a trip that long, <laughs> that far. But I, you know, it's worth contemplating someday. It's hard too because as a photographer. You're doing what you did is the right move if you really want to be successful in a particular niche. You just focus on that it's niche, right? Strategy, but you yeah, have yeah. that desire to photograph everything, right? Sure. But you decided to focus on this one thing because you obviously have to make a living. And it's hard to be a generalist. And I think that's the, more of the route I took where it's like, uh, I don't want to, I want the experience. I right. wanted that experience. And I was like, okay, I'll not go to Alaska this year. Let's go to you know, somewhere else in Antarctica. To, yeah. Patagonia. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the older I get, the more that appeals to me. Because, you know, we all recognize, and not, I mean, we're all young, arguably, and we want to experience a lot of these adventures. And it's a matter of when and how, and, and it's at this stage in our life that we have some flexibility due to our careers and, and what to do, you know. So it appeals to me more and more to see as much of this amazing planet as possible. Right. You know, in places like that, I mean, that's so foreign, but so exciting, and you learn right. so much about wildlife and and this planet just by. I mean, I had no idea about several of the things you mentioned, Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. So, the biggest thing is it's not cold. <laughs> you don't need to be wearing right. like, um, you know, some sort of extreme weather. We get that treatment a lot in Canada. <laughs> people think we're we're living in winter year round and winter has come and it is here for 10 years or forever and we're yeah that's and not, that speaks to yeah. you know it just speaks to people that just they haven't had those experiences right mm-hmm. not that they don't want to but a lot of people are very warming. comfortable just yeah. sitting on their couch and watching tv and experiencing life that way so um you know i would just say life's too short Right. Go do it. You know, any chance you get, just if anything comes up and you can any way make it happen, you got to go do it. Right. There's just no reason not to. And and even with what we do, you know, if we have our niche, then this is something that we can take on as a new adventure and find a market potential and some Mm -hmm. travel, you know, photography, storyline, article, whether it's online or publication or a book or... You know, it can all be planned out with those goals in mind. You know, mm-hmm. so not it's not just the adventure, which is worth it on its own, but, you know, for those that are in this field, it can help fund the trip or recover costs of the trip right. after by filming and recording it and telling about the adventure or how to do the adventure. I mean, you've mentioned so many things today that, you know, it'd be, I don't, this isn't our objective, but you could easily itemize a whole trip or guide a trip, you know, and if you do it two or three times, you learn all of this. And those are things that you could put into some kind of media outlet 
you know, whether it's right. on a website or a blog or a publication or how-to. And, you know, there's ways to spin this to help encourage people to live up their lives, enjoy the outdoors, and, and feel a little safer and more comfortable and, and confident in doing these trips because of your experience. You know, mentioning the locations you stayed at were comfortable and clean and safe and the food was great and... People, you know, the one thing I would say, you know, and I'll use my mom as an example. She gets so worried when I'm like going to Africa or when I'm going to go to China or whatever. She's, you know, because her knowledge base, and she's a very smart lady, right? Mm -hmm. But she gets a lot of her information from watching TV. Nowadays, you can get so much more and learn so much more on the, on the internet, but she just has these preconceived like oh you hear all the bad stuff right on tv mm -hmm. you hear about all these bad people all over the world and and that's kind of the impression that you, you everybody kind of tends to lean that way i think where it's like oh i don't want to go there because it sounds very dangerous but in reality everywhere i've been people are so genuine people are just they want to do nothing but help you and i've been to some pretty questionable areas if you listen to the news like Zimbabwe you know the, when I was there the government was being overthrown Mugabe was taking he was getting rid of all these shanty town I mean there was just like a lot of unrest and we rolled in and you know I had the butterflies going and but when you get there and these people just are awesome you know all the locals just want to help you out they want to try to teach you their language I mean it's just you just you get that feeling. The same thing in Argentina, in Chile. It was when they find they want to know as much from you as you want to know from sure, them too, right, because right. they everybody hears right. about North America. How right? bad it is here. How bad it is, and, and a lot of it, you know, so much of our media. That's one thing I was shocked about. Is so much of our media makes it down there, so they see the music videos or they see some of the TV shows where it's Hollywood, right? And they think that. That's they their it. impression right. is that everybody live, you know everybody drives a Mercedes mm -hmm. and everybody sings hip hop mm -hmm. and you know so they want to learn as much. Isn't everybody into hip hop? <laughs> Why not? They want to learn as much <laughs> as everybody else. So it's, sure. a, it's a give take and it's a. I think that's the best way for people to learn in this life, and appreciate the planet, appreciate humanity, and the diversity of people. And I think, you know, the vast majority of people have a kind heart, you know, and it doesn't totally. take long to figure that out. And by traveling, it gives the perspective um, really of acceptance and appreciation of, of all these other places and, and what's different that they offer, not just culturally, but landscape and, and the amazing everything about Antarctica, right? Yeah. I mean, without going there... You're just subject, and, and, and albeit there are some great documentaries and stuff on it that shine a good light, in, informative, but it's nothing like putting your feet on the ground there, yourself, right. right? and then you come back from that, and then you experience these things. So for the, for the amount of traveling that you've done, I mean, really, how has that changed your perspective? If you were to predict that you stayed in your province or state and, and, and didn't explore this planet and take opportunity when presented to do that... How different are you because of this traveling and how you perceive other people? Or, or, or oh, It's huge. And, and I try to share that with other people, too. I'm, you know, if I hear somebody talking about something that they probably don't, I don't ever accuse anybody of not knowing. But uh, if I think it's 
well, knowing, having been informed. there, I'm like, yeah. ah, you know what? Right. Here's the deal. Here's my experience. Right. If I can just share that and, and make someone <clears throat> either do a little bit more research or think about it a little bit differently, because it's nothing but good. Yeah, oh, I shouldn't. You know, you can always well, you have, have your problems. You still have to be careful you and yeah, smart and have still, common yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are, you know, it's amazing how often it's it's a far more pleasant experience than one would anticipate. Given, uh, yeah, I think the odds of bad things happening is so slim. It's the same with wildlife, man. But it's the same with the great outdoors. Right. It's this big, scary place. Don't camp out there tonight because it could, it could rain. It could thunder. There could be a bear. Right. But it could be magical. You could get up right. the next morning and just be have your breath taken away by the scene, the weather, the sounds. Well, know. we were talking about that this morning too in our little adventure out in the looking for sage grouse. Um, the oh, I just lost my train of thought. How come that happens to me? It's because I got so much stuff going in my it, mind. No, you're telling you're telling about your adventure elsewhere on the planet. We're looking at this huge, big oh, perspective. Oh, I, I was going to say so. So it happens to everybody. Right. what I'm saying. So go with it. No. Right. And I woke up in Alaska not too long ago. We had an electric fence around our camp, but there's bears laying like just on the other side of the electric fence because they're just curious and, you know. Right. And nothing bad happened. That's safe. Nothing bad happened. I've woken up many times where there's right. bears around. Right. So don't be scared of it. Be smart about it, but yes. don't be scared of it. Right. I mean, if you're camping in bear country, you need to know how to camp in bear country and how to be right. safe and be responsible with your gear. Yeah. No matter if it's food gear or even just your camping gear because of the human scent and, and purely animal curiosity. But if you're prepared and you research that, then there's no reason for it not to be a safe and amazing experience. Right. Chances mm -hmm. are it's right. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is wildlife, but it's it's this planet. We live here. We, you know, there's always a risk involved with exploration and adventure, but there's a risk involved with driving your car down the street tomorrow or our car, or my car, or if I go into the city and decide to cross the street, I know that it says there's, I can walk. There's a sign over there flashing, walk across the street, but that doesn't mean the person who's texting who shouldn't be driving the car doesn't realize they're coming to a red light. I have to watch for that. It's no different than being a wilderness. It's common sense, being, being prepared for the elements and being safe. And, and based on that philosophy, if you go for it in this life and explore these places and these adventures and, and you'll have, in, in our opinion, and, you know, from the traveling I've done, I've done and what I continue to do and am passionate about, you know, get the most out of this life and be able to share it with your family and friends and encourage those people, you know, and, and bring that message out. So whether it's the adventure traveling that this podcast has been about and, and been informative and exciting and enlightening, or if it's wildlife photography and what we do professionally you know it's all about getting out there and sharing that to encourage people to appreciate it and and based on the appreciation um share that knowledge and protect it in ways that are possible for us as individuals and 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 that's kind of a lot of what we do and why we're passionate about what we do it so you know this was about this is a wild place you went to you know but it wasn't all about wildlife photography it was travel adventure and and just soaking in the different cultures and scenery and landscape and mm -hmm. that's made for a great podcast so well, I, you know you were talking one last thing not to make this go longer no but bring it if there's more the um you were talking about research stations in antarctica yes so there were these whaling you know old old long forgotten whaling stations but we did stop at some research stations 
you know, everywhere I go, I like to have something I come back with, right? Some mm -hmm. little memento, whether whether it's a rock that I picked up that was just really cool, or something that I bought that I think someone would appreciate, or you know, whatever it is. So you get to Antarctica and you're like, well, what do what do I get here? I mean, there's nothing. Yeah, you can't go to a store. Ice isn't gonna make it home. And then what they told us too is they're like, you know what? Antarctica is pristine. You know, so untouched by man. They were like, we recommend that you don't take anything. And I was like, I agree with that. You know, it's just like in a national park. Yeah. You know, don't be taking antlers. Don't be destroying branches and stuff. Because, you know, you want everybody to see it. Everybody to experience it. Try not to change it. So, I'm, so of course, I didn't take a rock. As much as I wanted to have a little piece sure. of Antarctica that was sitting next to me every day. I didn't do it, but so I'm like, I want to bring something back. And so we ended up stopping at this research station and, um, gosh, this is going to kill me. I think it was, I think they were Russian too. Okay. And it was coincidental as it had nothing to do with the Russian ship we were on, but it was mm -hmm. a Russian research station. So they invited us in and we we're like, yeah, let's go check it. Let's go see what a research station is all about. And these people were stationed down there six months at a time. And uh, we go in there and I'm like, hey, uh, could I send a postcard from here? You know, because at that time it was sending postcards to my mom just, to, just so that she would have a little thing from wherever I was at too, right? And they're like, yeah, you could send a postcard. For, and I'm like, well, that's cool. How do you, I wonder how they do that. So I just wrote the just little note from my, to my mom and I gave it to him. And then I was like, oh, I got to bring something back. Well, these guys had all these little... You know, they get kind of bored down there because there's not a ton of stuff. They're doing their work, but they got all this free time, right? So a lot of these guys just made stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was very Russian-made stuff, right? It has no right. representation of it. And it wasn't like they would carve out a penguin or something. Or, you know, these guys were making, like... I, the thing I bought was this, like, little egg that was painted very... Um, like Russian Orthodox style. Okay. I don't know if that's sure. a style, but that's what mm -hmm. comes to my mind. And I brought that back from Antarctica as my memento because I, <laughs> I just was able to buy it there from these people in this research station. And just to sum up the story, the, that postcard ended up showing up I'm, I'm, at my mom six I'm, months later. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and it was mailed from Russia. Oh, oh really? they took it back. <laughs> they oh, brought wow. it all the way back to Russia. Good on them. And sent it. And That's awesome. And it showed up six months How later. How cool is that that they back. did that? Yeah. Oh, wow. So it traveled all that See? way. It just didn't get a, post, a postal stamp from, from Antarctica. Antarctica. How nice for those guys, so, I know. right? To do that. Yeah. Jeez. It was pretty cool. Right. Pretty cool. <laughs> wow. I think that's a that's a that's a good story to close on. Yeah, for this podcast, given the adventure and in in the different landscapes and the adventure through humanity and what that has meant on, from this trip. So thanks. I, sorry, yeah, one thing before you close it. it. Yes, I think we should put it out there to anybody of our audience that yes. if they had questions about any one of our podcasts, or if they want to pick Ron's ear on, hey, I just saw this grouse. You know. Can you help me out, mm -hmm. or whatever, or if they want to know about moose? Oh, I, I, you know, why is it always moose, guys? <laughs> you're the moose guy. I could be I, okay, else, if I they want to know something. about caribou, caribou, or wolverines, some sort of northern mammal, right? Mm -hmm. 
that would be you. Sure, bring it up. But if you got any questions, I, I want gear, people to equipment. comment yeah. or to ask us. Feedback. Or, Internet, yeah. yeah. We want positive feedback. We want... We want positive we want, Well, we we'll want... the negative, well, yeah, too. Yeah, constructive. Because we want to get better. We right. want to improve. So, yeah, constructive criticism is fine. Positive feedback. You know, uh, liking our podcast, following our podcast, subscribing to our podcast. All of that in, helps us continue. Right. 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 And... And contacting the knowledge us. base that we have. I mean, we're not experts, none of us. Right. But I think we have a lot of knowledge on whether well, our, it's travel or wildlife or whatever. Hit us up because I think I want to I want to slow you down on that. You know, we don't know everything. We're always learning, but we're experts in our niche and our fields because we've done it for so long and been successful at it. Right. So we do bring a wealth of knowledge and experience in what we cover for wildlife photography and adventure and how to do it, how to have these experiences safely and efficiently and most effectively, how to use equipment, how to interpret animal behavior. We are experts on it and we'll do that, but we don't know everything, right? And But we can try to either point them so in the right So we're always direction. learning as well. Or tell them what we know. Yeah, So, but any questions, uh, we, we want to receive those, you know, through the yep. website and uh, or through any of our social media links. Engage and, and let us know what you think and, and by all means ask us questions. Or if there's content that you'd like us to discuss based on our knowledge base, we'd embrace that as well for other future podcasts. Um, if some subjects you'd like to hear discussed or learn about on any of these topics that we, we cover. Mm-hmm. So that, I'm, I appreciate you bringing that up, and that's yeah. important. So, yeah, follow us, subscribe, uh, and and show on the, on the likes, and and I believe some of the podcast platforms, you know, have a have a star system, five stars. Yeah, the best ratings are huge. Right? If you get rated, that the allows us. The podcast goes, and the more we can do this, the more we, the more can, more do we can get supported mm-hmm. to right. do more. So if you feel the love, five star. We feel the love back and appreciate that. And so wildandexposed.com is our website, and all of our links can filter out from there. And you can view the podcast for the audio listeners. The video of each podcast is on there, and you can link to it or the various podcast platforms where it's also available. Yep. So thanks for tuning in on another Adventure Tale podcast from us at Wild and Exposed. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy some fresh air.